What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Conflicts of Interest. This is episode 96, and I'm the co-host of the show, Kyle Anzalone. And uh, co-host today is Will Porter. Will, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, Kyle. Uh, we got a great interview today with our friend Jose Gallison, uh, the host of the podcast No Way Jose, and also a active duty uh, uh, military member who uh, is, you know, like us, uh, anti-war and non-interventionist. And he's going to be leaving the service soon. So we'll be talking to him about his reasoning for that and his, you know, his views and his show and all that. Right. I, I'm really excited to have this conversation, Will. Uh, as you know, as something that I think we both realize, anti-war voices are especially important, especially those coming from veterans. And so uh, I, I guess he's active duty, but, you know, will be a vet. And to be able to talk to him about his experiences and, and what the military is like, you, you just carry a certain extra credibility. And uh, yeah. so I'm really excited for this conversation today and uh, look, look forward to it. People, make sure you share this show. I think it's going to be a great one. Uh, you can find it on the video versions on YouTube and at Odyssey. Uh, audio podcasts are up everywhere. People listen to podcasts. The social media accounts, Facebook, MeWe, and Twitter. Be sure to share the show and the clips we put out from there. Also support the sponsor of the show, Paloma Verde. PalomaVerdeStore.com is where you go to get your quality CBD products. No more head shop gummies. You know, they say they're 175 milligrams. Uh, you got, what, cut it up into a bunch of pieces to actually make it work in medicinal sense for you. Here they send you soft gels, edge strats, topicals, lotions, uh, tons of different ways to get your CBD buds and medicated uh, measured out amounts that are lab tested and they work the same for you every time so it's absolutely fantastic you could count on your cbd product to help you with whatever you have whether it's uh you know different kinds of pain caused by inflammation insomnia or other mental health causes uh so yeah, yeah will uh will's a fan of the uh melatonin infused products uh, right. Both the Ed Strat, which is a little bit harder hitting and fast acting, and also the soft gels, which, you know, come in little capsules, just like a vitamin, easy to take. You know how they uh, impact you. So PlomaVerdeStore.com, promo code PEACE when you check out. Again, PlomaVerdeStore.com, promo code PEACE when you check out. And, Will, let's get into the interview. All right. Hey, Jose, how's it going today? Good, yourself? Doing pretty well, Will. How you doing? Doing, doing good. How y'all doing? Good. Go ahead, Will. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to jump right into it. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, you know, I want to get into some of uh, Jose, your your background, some of the stuff like how you came to your political views and all that. But first, uh, the the reason we wanted to have you on is, you know, you had this tweet uh, that you know you kind of outed yourself as, like you said, uh, outed yourself as a Fed or as a you know active duty member <laughs> of the military for eleven years. And I think you said you will be getting out soon. You won't be re-enlisting. And so I just wanted to kind of get into some of that, you know, like uh, your time in the military, how that's kind of inter- inter- interacted with your political views. Uh, foreign policy and war and stuff is sort of like the main thing that we focus on this show, focus on. And, you know, I think when it comes to talking to people about those things, like, you know, members of the military often are the most persuasive people. So uh, maybe we could just start there. Like, you know, how did you wind up in the military? What made you want to join? What branch? You know, the, the floor is yours. Uh, I mean, I ended up in the military because I messed up college hardcore. Um, and I guess me growing up, it was always in my head that I was either going to go like the scholar route or the warrior route. So I was either going to go to school or I was going to go be do that. And I didn't see any problem with that. That's kind of a natural outlet. Outlet. I was always a smart kid, and I was always always like a 
uh, very active and strong kid. I play a lot of sports, wrestling, martial arts, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's kind of in – there were like two paths that were kind of open to me. And I, in my head, I messed up the scholar route, and so it was like I was going to go the warrior route. And so, yeah, I messed up college, went that way. Um, I mean, it wasn't entirely just because I messed up college. just because, like, like, like I said, I already in my head knocked out that like scholar route. Like I didn't want to just go do what I thought was kind of a lowly thing, which would be just – I don't know, getting some job somewhere and slowly working up through the through the through the ranks or whatever. Uh, instead, I wanted to kind of cut through and uh, you know jump ahead, break away from home, you know, leave the nest, all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, that's what ended up with me in the military. And yeah, I mean at the time I was kind of more like a, I mean I, I you could probably call me a centrist in the sense that I didn't really even have much. I was kind of like a conservative-ish Fox News type. Didn't really have strong beliefs in that way. It was just kind of, you know, I watch news or listen to my parents and just kind of generally that was the stuff I believed. It wasn't like I had any strong convictions. And that, that was stuff that came along later. Um, I think I kind of answered all that. <laughs> yeah. How, how old were you when you when you joined? Uh, I was 19 because I uh, I went to like, – I messed up college big time. Like like I said, I was a smart kid. I had a, I had a scholarship to go to college, but that was actually my problem. I was like the kind of kid who like – I always did really good in high school and like didn't have to study at all. And I would just like ace every test and didn't ever like, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of almost half the time didn't do homework just cause I knew I could skate by on my, my like test grades. Right. So, <laughs> right. so when college came around, I actually had to put in work and I kind of uh, crashed hard. Also kind of, uh, kind of went down like the drugs and alcohol type route and had a lot of fun. So I basically got <laughs> a paid for uh, you know, semester of fun. So, cause I didn't have to pay anything, but once I realized the scholarship was going to dry up, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not paying for this. I know I'm not going to take it seriously, <laughs> right. which I mean, that's a whole other conversation with the, uh, the public education system. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. I've had uh, my own, my own journey through that. Um, and, and just to clarify, was it the air force that you joined? Was that the, the branch? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, I want to preface this real quick, just kind of as a caveat that everything I'm saying here, not that anyone would ever interpret it this way. I'm saying this as me and not as some representative of the military. Cause I know right. that that's, that's one thing where, you know, I can get myself tripped up there. I'm not saying in any way, any of these are views of the military. I mean, you kind of have to be an idiot to think that, but just throwing it out there just in case you never know what kind of shit I might get in. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll, we'll be sure to put a disclaimer in the show notes page that says the same thing for people who have trouble listening, but will only read something. Uh, you have that right there. Uh, so I'm just curious, did you have any interaction with like recruiters or was there any particular reason that you pit the air force? Um, and did you feel like military was your only option once you messed up in college, you know, you, you didn't feel like, you know, you could go be a carpenter or, or do something else? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily was my only option or I felt that way, but in a, in a sense, I sort of felt that way. Like I knew I could have gone to school, like gone back to school. Like I actually had a fairly sort of extensive, uh, background in like construction stuff. Cause I did that all through high school with my family. So I actually knew how to like frame houses and stuff at the time. Funny enough, I'm actually terrible with that stuff now, but it's because during my time, I just in the military, I haven't done any of that. So, you know, the, you lose those skills. But uh, yeah, no, it wasn't actually, I thought that was the only thing. It just, it was kind of like for me, like I said, that was in my head, that was like what I need to do. I needed to have a career. I needed to go do something to, you know, I, I guess in a way, I kind of look down in a sense on those kind of things. Like, you know, if I went to go be a waiter somewhere and, you know, you know, moved up through the ranks and became like an assistant manager or whatever, to me, that was just kind of like, oh, just some podunk, you know, crap at my hometown. 
And now, if anything, I look back, I'm like, I wish I'd done that. Like, and it's also, too, like, you know you're going to have to stay at home for a while if you do that. And for me, like, it was, like, the whole – I mean, it's probably a whole other conversation of, with young men. And I've had this conversation, I think, with actually Patrick McFarlane before. We talked about this, about how, like, it's ingrained in men that we just feel like we need to leave the coop, you know, immediately. Yeah. And so, like, I – if anything, I should have probably stayed at home, should have, should have, you know, done that route in, in, in retrospect. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, was there more to that question? I kind of zoned out there. I think I, I, think uh, I answered Yeah, any that. any experience with recruiters and why the Air Force? Oh, yeah, why the Air Force uh, and recruiters? I, I mean, I don't really have anything significant to say about recruiters. I mean, they did kind of scam me a little bit, and that kind of goes into why the Air Force. I wanted to jo- – I was going to join Marines or, or uh, Army, but my uh, stepdad talked me out of it because he was Army, and then I also knew other people who were like Marines and Army, and they're like, don't do that. Like, that's dumb. Uh, I mean, no offense, people did it. I mean, <laughs> like, I I wanted to go be a badass. Like, I wanted to go kill people. Like, that's and, and I didn't in in like a because to me that was like protecting my tribe. Like, that was the way I looked at it. Like, I wanted to go do that. Like, it was something valiant to me, essentially. So that was what I wanted to go do. And um, so that's why I wanted to go like Army and Marines initially. And then I had family and friends talking to me like, don't go, don't do that. Like, if you're gonna do it, they're like, at least go be like special forces or something. Like. And so that's when they, like, talked me into going, like, Air Force. And I tried to get into Special Forces. And I kind of did. They got me a job that was, like, sort of Special Forces. And then come to find out later, I kind of, like, the recruiter kind of gave me a false interpretation of what it was. Like, he was like, oh, this is something you can craft towards combat. And Mm -hmm. then later I found out that was kind of nonsense. It was still a really hard job to get into. I ended up failing out uh, of that. So that's kind of a, a common recurring thing in my life. Uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, whatever. I'm kind of glad I didn't now in retrospect because I don't feel like I would have been too happy with that job. But yeah, I failed out of that. That was why I went Air Force because I wanted to do like something like Special Forces related. And uh, they were like, also everyone was like, go Air Force. That way you're be- treated better. Because like basically Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, they're treated way better generally than Army, Marines. So I mean, it's true. <laughs> when when you say uh, treated better for for people who don't know what that might mean, it, it kind of explain what you mean. I mean, just better facilities, better – I mean, I don't even really know how to, like – I don't know. Like, they're more like a lot of – I mean, I'm kind of also talking from my perspective. But just generally when you deploy or when you're on TDYs, the places you're at are better. Just just in general, just a better uh, standard of living, essentially, the overall. I don't know why it works out that way. I mean, you're also kind of generally further away from the action because Air Force, you're generally working with planes – Navy, you're generally working with ships, so you're a little bit you're a little bit more distance from the action. Whereas, you know, Army Marines, you're kind of like in the shit. And even if you don't have like a combat j- job, you're probably so- somewhat near it. Whereas, like being military or being a military, but in Air Force, like being with the planes, the uh, the the airplanes are multi million dollar assets, so those are generally pretty well protected. And so, if you're in the general vicinity of those, you're probably not in that bad of a spot, you know. <laughs> Right. And uh, I know you, you know, there's certain details maybe you don't want to get super specific on, but could you get into a little bit? Are you comfortable talking about just generally what, what job you had there? What, what did you do? Uh, generally speaking, I'm an aircraft mechanic is what I ended up getting because I failed out of that one job that was like a sort of special forces thing. Uh, and then I had become an aircraft mechanic, which I mean, I enjoyed. I still enjoy. If anything, the one of the big things now is that I'm getting I'm higher in rank. It's more like a more bureaucratic and political and just red tape and it's like i'm not really even able to do my job as much it's, it's a whole nightmare dealing with people and then i just generally i feel like the way people are treated in the military i don't i'm generally not a fan of um i mean but yeah 
I know people get people get high on their authority or, or yeah. perception of it. <laughs> so yeah. Um. So uh, you know, we're I guessing about the same age. You said you're in about eleven years and signed up at nineteen, so about thirty. Uh, so mm-hmm. you you know, experienced nine eleven about the same time and. Uh, certainly the culture that came along with that, uh, you know, airports clapping for soldiers getting on and off the planes or, you know, baseball, football games, whatever. Um, did the 9-11 or did the like the culture that followed have any impact on you choosing the military, do you think? Or uh, was, was it just more like that that was the option available to you at the time? Uh, I, I would say 9-11 probably played a big part because, yeah, I mean, you're about the same age. I'm 29. I'll be 30 in a couple months. Um, yeah, I don't know. It played a big part because it was definitely formative in a sense. I was actually talking about this the other day. It was actually kind of weird that I remember as a kid, I was, we were about the same age. I, if anything, the thoughts that I thought when that was happening is don't get me wrong. I was like, this is awful, but it was kind of like, also like I'm halfway across the country. So it's for me, it was in a weird way, kind of no different than seeing some awful stuff happen in like Cambodia. I knew it was bad, but it was like, what, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> yeah, so. I had the same exact experience. I I was in St. Louis, and so I had never been to New York City before. And New York City, for all intents and purposes, could have been Kabul. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know where that is. You know, I guess the idea that they are Americans, they fly the American flag eventually came through. But that, that same thing with your my initial reaction. I remember I wasn't even scared until some kid, and I, I won't say his name, but I do remember who it was, was seeing it in the line at lunch talking Doxon. about how uh, how the, the Nets target was going to be the St. Louis Arch. And that's like, you know, when he got like a little scared because they brought it home for you. You know, just some kid talk. Why would they bomb the arch? But that was that's what I was worried about as like a fourth grader uh so yeah i'm sure it has to have an impact on you because it you know impact us so much will anything else uh here yeah yeah so like you say when you joined you kind of you know had more or less maybe you know normal motivations that a lot of young men might have that you know you want to see some action you want to fight that kind of stuff however it seems like at some point in you know in the military somewhere along the line you came to sort of these uh I'll let you define your own, you know, political views, but like generally libertarian kind of views, as far as I understand. Um, could you talk a little bit, a bit about how you kind of arrived at those views while in the military? Yeah, I mean, there's not really too much crossover. It's kind of something I did on my own. It's not like they really affect each other. If anything, it was like the conclusions that were drawn from some of my beliefs are what influence my what I'm doing now. But I mean, just to so everyone knows where I'm at now, I would consider myself a ANCAP, a really more specifically agorist. So, okay. I mean, anyone knows those, knows the implications. Like, I'm a non-voting anarchist. I don't I don't necessarily believe it's immoral to vote. I just think it, it's kind of useless. Um, but, you know, that's kind of where I am. So that's how far down the road I've gone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, how I came here, though. I mean, when I joined, I was kind of just a generic conservative-ish. And I kind of had, like, light-ish sort of Ron Paul influences. I always thought he was kind of cool. So over time, I feel like it kind of became more of like a conservatarian. From there, yeah. I became more like, I don't know, libertarian-ish. I know I kind of like went down – basically, I went down like the Ben Shapiro rabbit hole, and then I went down the, the Crowder, and then I went down the, the Rubin, the Dave yeah. Rubin. And then eventually, I, I, after a while, then I kind of started listening to Rogan. Not that Rogan's necessarily like a – like he's whatever the hell his guest is. But, you know, he kind of introduces to you a lot of interesting figures. And I think Dave Smith was – I feel like if I remember correctly, I, I heard him on Rogan. And at that point, I'd already been kind of like listening to Rubin. So I was 
it's kind of that like minarchist, like kind of blue pill ish, libertarian ish kind of spot. Yeah. And then I started listening to Dave Smith, and I was a pretty hardcore minarchist for a long time, listening to Dave Smith, and like, and probably at least a year, year and a half, maybe two years, listen to Dave Smith, and he would always talk about uh, anatomy of the state, anatomy of the state, and that was always one he hammered away at. And then I just finally went ahead and re- read it, and like, like, cause for, and that then it's kind of like it was like the red pill moment, cause it was like a. The thing for me was at that point I'd come to the point that I completely understood that government as an institution and just in general is immoral, but I, w- I was of the belief it was necessary. And so that, that was like the last final thing I was clinging on to. Like it was a necessary evil. Like, and it was just like, I didn't want this, but it is what it is. This is what we got to have, you know, or else everything goes to shit. And right. then I read Anatomy of the State and it was kind of just like really, Rothbard does a really great, great, um, uh, he does a great job in that book of showing that, like, no, this is doomed to fail. No matter how you do it, it's going to go to shit. Like, it's going to fall apart. Like, you can be like, oh, well, the Second Amendment, there's this or that. But it's at the end of the day, like, you know, like, what really happens? Like, are, you're you're slowly losing freedom. And it's like, they're, you're not just going to magically have these words on paper that are going to make this thing happen like you want it to do. So it's just a failed, doomed thing to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, I know under that sort of Rothbardian tradition, often we do see war and peace and war largely as like, you know, one of the worst things the state does. It's where they spend the most money. It's where they seem to be violating the most rights, the most property rights. So, yeah, it seems like there is a pretty uh, strong intersection between those two things. Yeah, and I meant to kind of go into, too, how that affected me. For example, like I said, how it was a necessary evil. And so I kind of had this with the military, I had this like this minarchist dream, you know, because the minarchists are always like, you know, the the police, military, the courts, like those are kind of like generally where they're at. And like, so even then, like I was always able to do this mental gymnastics of why it was okay. Like, even if I, even though I completely understood why the wars were immoral, this or that, it was kind of like, well, you know, we got to have a military and you know, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, you know, it's not ideal. They're not doing what I want them to do, but it is what it is. And then, you know, after once I had that, like once I became, I jumped from the fence from anarchist to anarchist after reading anatomy of state, like once I realized that just, you know, government as an institution is not tenable, that was when I was just like, there's no justifying it. I mean, maybe from like a bleed the state type perspective, you could maybe justify some military service. But like, you know, for me, like I said, I work on the planes. So like the planes that I work on are literally the planes that would refuel the Saudi jets, you know, in Yemen. So it's kind of like, I don't, it's kind of hard to justify that. Now, if I've been folding, if I've been folding towels in like the base gym, it's kind of like, or if I was working in the medical clinic, it's kind of like, I don't know, you can, you can probably still manage some sort of mental justification since right. really at that point you're just bleeding the state with the inevitable demise if you're looking from a collapsitarian type perspective. But, yeah. I mean, if you're like in any way actually evolved in it, like there's kind of almost no way to justify it at that point, you know? At least that was the way I saw it. So, Right. And that was something that you had pointed out in your tweet uh, specifically was – uh, what was happening in Yemen and those planes in particular? Uh, do you uh, do you feel comfortable saying like about what time like that became like so apparent to you that like you, you were like playing a part in something that was immoral? Mm, I mean, probably around twenty sixteen. I'm I'll go and like you know I'm terrible at times, so <laughs> right. I mean this don't. Don't quote me on this, but I would say I'm honestly probably 2015, 2016-ish, because I do remember it was pre-Trump that I was already like an anarchist. Like I didn't really care too much about Trump. I mean, I kind of 
I more enjoyed the uh, idea that he pissed off my enemies, and I just thought that was hilarious. But it wasn't like I was a supporter. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where I was at. So yeah, probably about 2015-ish. I think is where not that really that really kicked in there. And it was yeah. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> so I guess it's kind of been a long time, really. Now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and that was like for the most part the deciding factor or one of like you know the straw that broke the camel's back of you know i i need to not be a part of this anymore yeah i mean another thing too is i mean i'll be completely honest i mean i, I mean i'm a big fan i mean a lot of people have read probably a red sterner and i kind of have a lot of the same same thoughts there but at the end of the day like my this may be horrible a lot of people think it's bad in a day my my i put like say my family and stuff before my morals if you will i know that sounds bad but I had mouths to feed. I mean, I know that's not the greatest justification. It is what it is. So, like, there, to some extent, I still had – I didn't really have much other options. The military doesn't – generally doesn't do the greatest job of preparing you on the outside. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have nobody to blame but myself. But I, I was always of the opinion that I was going to do a do the full 20 and get out. And then just, you know, that's why I didn't really prepare myself to get out because I was just like, I'm going to retire here. Um but yeah, I forgot where I was leading with that. I had a point, but whatever. <laughs> no, I, I I think you made the point pretty well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, when it, when it comes to uh, deciding to leave, is that something that you recently came to, or is that something you've been thinking about for a while? Like, and and I don't know how much detail you can get into about that process, but is that like a is it a pain to try? To, or could you describe that a little bit? Uh, I mean, for me, it's I've wanted to do it for a long time. It's just a matter of like you know the way the way it works in militaries enlistments so like i gotta always technically i know you can do a conscientious objector and get out but it's a whole right. that's a whole pain in the butt so um but yeah i'm mean, pretty much it was like a waiting for my enlistment to be up type thing and okay. um like i said I, i'd been wanting to for a while it's just now i'm at a point where i have a side gig and like it's doing fairly well i mean i'm not gonna lie it's still a little bit little bit little bit uh tight it's gonna be a tight transition so um yeah i mean it was more just a, a financial thing really i know like i said earlier it's kind of it's kind of shitty to be like you know i'm doing it for that reasons er everyone likes to think you can just magically walk away because i did i decided to you know have certain morals or whatever but you know if i was a single guy sure i don't care i'll live under a bridge but you know when i got a wife and kids <laughs> right. it's a different story <laughs> right you know absolutely. but yeah so i forgot what, what was the question again no, oh, I, just sort of yeah. just the process of getting out and sort of oh, when you decided yeah. to do that. Yeah, no, now, like I said, again, I'm just a little bit a little bit more financially stable on the side. It is still a little bit tighter than I'd like it to be. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that, you know, if you're here, go subscribe to my podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about your show. Uh, uh, no way, Jose. I think you guys yeah. got like uh, uh, 50, 50 episodes out. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess I guess this is a, as good a time as any to if you want to tell people about that. Yeah, no, I have the uh, No Way Jose podcast. Um, I when I first started, I generally was focusing on just like cultural topics and how they intersect with liberty. After a while, I'm glad I didn't like choose a title that was specifically towards that because I feel like if you sometimes you paint yourself in a corner, that can be a little bit rough. And if I had done that, you run out of topics after a while. So I mean, now I just kind of cover whatever I want to do. Um, yeah, I, do, I cover all sorts of stuff. Just generally my thoughts, philosophy, politics, whatever, what have you. I'm all over the place. Uh, if you are basically in the, somewhere in the same spot as where I am, think of myself as a bargain brand Dave Smith is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> I mean, that's, 
I don't know. That might be the best way to put it. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check that out. It's on, uh, it's on anywhere on, it's on a uh, YouTube. It's on anywhere the audio podcasts are at. Um, also I want to get on Odyssey eventually, but I'm lazy and don't want to have to manually update everyone. So if you go subscribe, I'm like a hundred out from hitting 300 subscribers. And once I do that, it'll manually update or manually sync the channel. So that'd be cool. Um, yeah. Also go give me money. Patreon.com slash no way Jose 2020. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great show, man. You've had uh, people definitely our audience are familiar with. Uh, Pat Patrick McFarland's been on your show. Mm-hmm. I think you've been on his as well. So you guys, you cover a lot of the topics that you know. I think our audience would be interested in libertarianism, philosophy, rights, culture, all that kind of stuff. So, it's uh, good stuff. Yeah, no, uh, keep a lookout too. Me and uh, Patrick are doing a three-part thing right now. We've already uh, dropped the first uh, a three-part like kind of covering, uh, it's like, I guess you call it a review or analysis of anatomy of the state. It's a three-parter. So, uh, we already did the first probably here. I think this next week we're going to be recording the second and then I don't know when the third will come out, but I'm, I'm excited about that. I think that one's gonna be fun. Those, uh, I didn't, I wrote an article like before I even started a podcast and it was on that. And so we were using that as a basis to, on which to do the episode. So yeah, I think it'll be fun. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Pat, I just had Pat on the show last week. He's a, He's a great guy, and he's uh, had his article published at the Libertarian Institute on uh, the independent media uh, amplifying the the Uyghur genocide claims. Um, I, I'm curious. So you've been doing this podcast for several months now, right? Have you had any like feedback from people in the military, either positive or negative? Or, I, I mean, I I, w- I worked in a school before I went full time doing this, and so I just didn't like tell my coworkers about this at all and nobody knew about it. And like, I, I understand if that's like the, the position that you had to be into. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't normally tell people that cause I honestly don't like being the guy in real life. That's like, go check out my podcast. It's one thing online if I'm <laughs> like promoting it, but it just feels weird in real life. And you're like, Hey, Hey, I, I go check out my podcast. It has been really nice for social media. Having a podcast is there'd be a lot of times where, someone tries to get an argument with me on uh, social media about one topic or another. And I can just be like, ah, check, go check out this episode. It's a good yeah. way to get out of arguments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, for my like real life, like friends in the military, I mean, uh, only a few of them watch it and I haven't really got much feedback, but I think most people know where I'm at. I generally, my tactics, I try not to be in your face about it, but I'm also not apologetic about it either. Most people that know me know I'm an anarchist. I'm not, I don't hide it. I mean, usually that'll lead like, if people ask, like it'll lead to a separate conversation and I'll explain, like, I know I'm not some like go burn it all down. Like, I just don't think any of this is tenable. So like, and that leads to other conversations. I don't normally, like I said, get in their face about it. I just, it's just one of those things that if they bring it up, I don't back down, you know, just kind of do it very lackadaisical kind of, I feel like that's kind of one of the better ways to go about it too. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and sort of based on your experience, like in other people in the military, are they are these ideas conducive to them, or is it is it all right wing conservative stuff, or is there? I mean, I know Ron Paul got like you know the most his most donations from like active duty military people, but just in your own experience, have, have you met? Is there anyone else that you know there that has these kind of uh, crazy views? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I probably don't. I probably may think of one or two that would consider themselves anarchists, but I know a lot of people consider themselves libertarian or libertarian-ish, and I okay. do feel like this says that it is conducive to a lot of people in 
Uh, it's one of those things that when I have these discussions with people, they generally will agree with me the whole way through. And then they'll just kind of get to that point of that like cognitive dissonance. And they're like, well, here I am. It's yeah. just, they just won't admit it. Like, you know, like this is wrong or whatever, you know, they're just, it's kind of just like, well, you know, if we just, you know, do things better, that'd be cool. Like, well, we're not, <laughs> right. so, right. you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I do find it to be conducive. It is generally, I would say the demographic of the military is usually like conservative to like center left. And I feel yeah. like those are generally pretty easy people to talk to in, in that in that area, at least for me, I grew up in the country too. So it's pretty easy talking to conservatives. So, cause I mean, I can, I can make the, the, the anarchist, uh, case from a conservative perspective. So right. Pretty right, easily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what something that I think Scott Horton makes this point a lot that like, you know, on a lot of these issues, like we are libertarians are better conservatives than the conservatives. And we're better like leftists and liberals than the leftists and liberals are on a lot of these issues. Like I think our job is sort of just encouraging them to be more, you know, to, to embrace their own principles more closely, be more consistent about it. Often you can push them in a more like libertarian direction, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're talking to somebody and maybe it's different for you being active duty, but uh, you know, if, if you're trying to talk to somebody who is maybe active duty or a veteran uh, about libertarianism, would you lead with like the foreign policy stuff? Would it be, or, or would you lead with another issue? Maybe the cognitive dissidence is harder to, to talk uh, do you, from people you met do you, do you, what do you have a like a idea of what path would be better ah uh, i don't know i don't know if i necessarily think it out like that i think generally i just take what comes and i i honestly normally am not the one who presents it what'll happen is if someone brings up something i may be like oh well i disagree or i'll be like oh i don't know about that and i'll, I'll say it and it'll be one of those things where like oh okay and then i'll go into it it doesn't necessarily always have to be foreign policy like I'm not I'm I don't I never am really one to evangelize, because I feel like that comes off weird, especially if everyone knows kind of where you're at. But a lot of times, if someone brings it up around you, I'll have the discussion. I feel like with the military, I would say generally speaking, I probably try to stray away from it a little bit, at least initially, and then maybe go into it because it is one of those things that can scare people off because it is one of those things where, you know, it freaks people out at first when you when you go into it because it is like a nowadays like there's no i mean when i do get these discussions of foreign policy they, there's like no justification they're right. they they they're generally speaking very few of them are like they're not like the rick castley types that are like have some whole drawn out you know convoluted uh explanation for why they did these things and, they, right. and most of them don't really know these foreign policy things and like you know who did what or this or that and then like once you start dropping these bombs we're kind of like oh shit like really yeah. like and they don't know what to make of it. The really is a lot of it's just ignorance. A lot of people just don't know these things. You know, right. they just took a job thinking like, you know, I'm going to do something good. And, you know, it's, I mean, I had a, I had a, I mean, for people interested in the topic, go check out my episode with Shane Hazel. We talked about this a lot. And it's just kind of like, I feel like the military has a knack for kind of adulterating a natural aspect of masculinity. So, like, mm. I think it's completely normal for men to want to protect, you know, protect their own i mean and i feel like it's like in a true free society we would have protectors like this we would have something akin to cops akin to police probably obviously very much different in a lot of ways but kind of fulfilling the same function in a lot of ways but it's i don't know the, the way they do it's very different there's no outlet for a pure pure expression of that masculinity if you will so yeah right. mm. I said a lot there. 
No, that's a that's a very interesting point. Sort of subverting just like a, a inborn trait of, of human psychology of that mm-hmm. uh, protector drive. So uh, I don't know if you're following the news today, Jose, but uh, we have at least a report that it looks like uh, out of Afghanistan by September 11th. That's uh, that's what Joe Biden is saying now. Uh, a part of that report is he said it wasn't going to be conditions based, so maybe it'll actually happen. Um, it, for a long time, we've seen polling coming out about from the the military on the you know particularly endless wars, or they'll do polling on Iraq and Afghanistan uh, about like uh, how much support there is for the mission. And in the past couple of years, what is about two thirds to three quarters say they, they no longer support the mission. Uh, can you give any sense of, do, do you think that's the case that do, do people really believe in these wars? Do they really want to fight these wars? Are, are, are people generally concerned about taking out terrorists or is it mostly just doing a job? And is there any, I guess, uh, people who are actively upset that they have to fight these wars. I, I would say the two thirds is a low number, to be honest, if I was going to guess, uh, yeah. I really feel like it, I don't know really many people at all that have any sort of justification for any of this stuff. I do think there are a sizable amount of them who are like, I want to go kill the bad guys. But the problem is that once you have this discussion, they will readily admit that, well, we don't, we aren't killing the bad guys or, or the the so-called killing of the bad guys is only making problems worse. Like so, in their head, like we're not doing it the right way. I mean, so like even from their perspective. So I'm not many people that I know of justify it at all. So I I mean, especially once they get pressed on it, I I, I don't see anyone really really having any sort of drive for these things anymore. If anything, that's in a big culture change during my time. Because when I joined, it was like a there were still people that were trickling in from the the 9/11 type days, but like, I know, for example, like a year or two ago, I remember a new guy came in and like he was telling me his age, and he was like, I was like, you don't, you were like, I think he was born around the time of September 11th, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, why? Like, w- what drive? What anything? It's just kind of, uh, you know, like okay. So I mean, I think maybe some of the newer generation probably are legit here just for benefits and job and whatever, but there is this uh, mix of people who. I feel like it's like these crusty people that are a little bit dead inside from the older people that have joined around the time I was in or joined that have do have that like that did join from a sense of purpose type thing, which that was partially why I joined too. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of them are just disillusioned with it. And even even though a lot of them are still clinging on to a little bit of that, they want to go kill the bad guys. They know that we aren't going about it the right way, at least in their perspective. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't can't recall anyone who's really made any sort of case for what we're doing like even then like the best i'll get is well we should go kill the bad guys and then i'll push them on and be like yeah but we're doing it really dumb (laughs) okay yeah i I I wasn't sure maybe there's like you know somebody somewhere that was like hell yeah we're gonna get them and always talking about like the strategy and the plan and what we're doing and how it's gonna work and why it's so important and uh, you know maybe people like true true believers i've you know, I've worked with some people that like it. It seems like they they believe way more in the cause than they ever should. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I feel like that's such an important point, like for people people who aren't in the military to see that like there is a lot of skepticism in these conflicts, in this in our involvement in these conflicts within the military, you know, like uh, I think a lot of people often, you know, predicate their support for the wars for their on their support for the troops that, hey, you got to back the back our boys. But if they were if they knew that just how skeptical the troops were in the, the wars they were fighting, I think that might, you know, possibly change some things. Yeah, I feel like there's probably way less support among the military than with normal people because the yeah. perception I get from just the, the the few times I do talk to people who aren't in the military or whatever, they completely have a different perception. I, I can't tell you how often people, you know, oh, you, you're getting them over there, you know, just like stupid comments like that. Like, right. And they don't have an idea what's going on. Like, for example, like most people don't even realize the vast majority of the military is not even combat related. Like I'm not combat. Like I said, I'm a mechanic and – that's right. the vast majority of the military, and yeah, <laughs> I mean, and that's another thing. I, mean, I know we didn't touch on that, but that, that was probably another part that was kind of pervasive and made it hard because it's – I feel like when you're – I mean, there's probably different trials and tribulations of both sides, but when you have a combat job, I feel like in some senses it's a little bit easier to be like, you know, like I just kicked in this door and whenever, you know, like we accidentally shot this guy or whatever, in some ways it's a little bit harder to see what you're doing wrong. But when you're just doing a job, when you're, when you're changing aircraft tires or whatever, you know, you're kind of like it's a little, little bit harder to see what's going on, you know. Yeah. And yeah. then you kind of almost feel weird in some senses saying anything because you know there are the guys that are really doing shit. And in some weird way, it's almost like an insult to them, you know. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you mean there. There's a, a really great article by William Arkin out in Newsweek yesterday about how even if the forever wars like you know, Biden does withdraw troops from Afghanistan, the war really may never end because at this point, uh, you know, you have CIA assets and the CIA on the ground. You have special forces teams in the region that could be deployed at any time, drones or airstrike capability again at any time. That, you know, really now you may only I think he points out like you may have like a thousand people in like the, the pipeline to make this attack happen that we could kill anybody almost anywhere on the planet anytime we want. Uh, but there's only like one person or a very limited number of people that are actually involved in the activity. Whereas, you know, be at, you know, one time in World War Two, you know, so many people are foot soldiers on the front line. Everybody's involved in the combat. You know, there, there's very few people that aren't where now the, the ratios are way the other way. And it's a way to make the war invisible for the American people. It ensures that there's not combat deaths or if there are, there, there's very few. Um, and of, I guess, you know, people at least, I, I believe, imagine that PTSD or moral injury really isn't a thing if you're not the guy over there that's kicking down the door and shooting the kid or maybe the pilot that hits the button on the bomb. Uh, but I, I think we've seen and, you know, people like Peter Van Buren have detailed where he was just in the State Department, but involved in the Iraq right. reconstruction, how, you know, much that, you know, how terrible his role there was and how much that traumatized him. Sorry, there really wasn't yeah, a think... question there. I don't know where, where to go. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think we uh, we hit on how long we've been going here about an hour. Uh, yeah, we're about forty minutes. Uh, I, I the only thing I was gonna ask before I wrap, and we'll have to have you back on once you're out of the you know military officially and yeah, divulge uh, all your secrets. Tell yeah. me all the classified information you have. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we we could talk maybe in more detail about what's going on and everything. But uh, I, I, is there any like a lot of guys I've talked to have like a particular story about uh, a huge amount of waste happening uh, in the military that they saw? Whether it was like they had bombs and they just had them and so they had like fire them off at the test range for no reason or uh you know deploying uh weaponry to a certain area and then just sitting there and going to complete waste so i was just gonna wonder if you had anything like that to share with us before we wrap oh i mean that's if anything that's so that's an all the time thing to the point where it's not even noticeable anymore <laughs> like i mean being a mechanic i re- repair the aircraft so i can't tell you how many times i've you know swapped apart and then i look at the because, like, we'll, we'll go through, like, what's called supply, and we're able to look up the stuff and how much this costs. And it's just, like, you'll have, like, bolts, like, just that are, like, 80 bucks. You're like, Jesus Christ, like, why? And a lot of this is just, like, due to, like, because they, whenever they sold the planes, they had some sort of contract that made it so they could only sell to or only buy certain parts or whatever. There's just a whole lot of, like, bureaucratic nonsense in all that. And so that's where a lot of that, like, just silly stuff and then obviously like we kind of with no regard we'll swap out parts you know just be like oh well, it might be bad we'll swap it i mean which i mean to be fair to some extent if you're a mechanic that, that might not be the worst idea if you're like trying to really keep an upscale thing but you know sometimes it's kind of like why and like i said it's just mostly just the cost of things is insane aside from that i mean not really too much i mean obviously there is like a i think something to do with the way bureaucracies are set up kind of naturally lends itself to waste but that's not even necessarily in, intended like i can't tell you how many different like meetings there are for this or that and like yeah i mean the, the higher up you get the more you start seeing like how this really is socialism <laughs> yeah. I, I remember uh reading i think it was an article from ProPublica on the i believe the air force and how poor they were at like tracking parts and having parts for the planes when they needed them i don't know if that was a particular thing that you face on the planes you were working on but you know like a a year or so ago there was one time where they had a whole bunch of uh f-35s down a particular base to do test flights and they could only operate like eight of the 23 i believe and they had like cannibalized all the other planes to keep those operating and there was just such huge amounts of problems with that and in fact i believe when there was that terrible situation in the seventh fleet where uh i think it was a f-18 ended up hitting one of the mid-air refueling planes and killing quite a few people they they point to part of the problem with that is people couldn't get enough flight hours because they didn't have the right parts for the planes yeah i mean i don't really have anything to add to that yeah there's a lot of ways for sure I mean, the F-35 program in and of itself is a giant fucking waste. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But that's kind of how it goes, though, with all these planes. I mean, I mean, to be fair, to some extent, it's hard to tell, like, if this would be something that would happen in a somewhat in a free – I mean, obviously, it wouldn't – a lot of it. But some of it might happen, too. I mean, some might be being a little bit unfair. Because what happens with a lot of these new jets, whenever they have new jets come in, is they'll have issues initially. But, you know, over the years, they'll start to smooth it out. They'll develop better maintenance practices. Obviously, we know the free market would work better, but some of that is to like a I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to tell how much of that is due to just the natural the natural like having a new product, you know, and also you know 
and also just being that, you know, the bureaucracy of the military in general, fucking everything up. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, that's a, that's a very fair point. I know like with ships, when you're building a large ship, a lot of times the first time you put it in water, the hull like moves around and it leads or has problems. And so when it happens with the military, everybody brings it up, but I'm sure every time they offload a new giant cargo ship, it happens and they just don't make a big deal out of it. But well, anything else before we wrap up here? Uh, no, I was just going to ask Jose to plug his show again if you if you would like. Yeah, sure where where you know people could support you, find all of your work. Uh, yeah. Any plans you got coming up here? I mean, not anything major plans. Uh, like I said, I got the podcast No Way Jose. It's on YouTube. It's on everywhere. It's also like audio everywhere audio podcasts are at. If you want to get my episodes early, you can hit me up on the Patreon at uh, Patreon at No Way Jose or Patreon.com slash No Way Jose 2020 because somehow someone else had No Way Jose already. So No Way Jose 2020. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely would appreciate the help. I finally this. I finally got to a point where I'm breaking even doing this. So that's nice. Oh, yeah, because um, yeah, I mean, I got to pay for like, you know, my streaming service and stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm finally breaking even. Um any little bit helps. I'm not trying to beg for money, but it does help. It make if I want to keep doing this. I mean, also, like I said, things are probably going to be tight here soon. So any every little bit helps. If you want to give me money, I'm all about it. <laughs> I will not turn down money. And, um, and people don't yeah. realize how much work goes into the podcast that you don't see. It's not just sitting down, us laughing and having a good time and chatting. There's a lot of you know pre and post production work that goes into all of this, and so you're spending a lot of. Uh, you know, being a husband and a father, your very precious time on this podcast. So if, you know, people want you to keep doing it, we're libertarians. You know how the, you know, market incentives work. Um, make sure you incentivize the people doing the shows you like. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm definitely, like I said, I broke, I, I, all I said to everybody is if I could at least break even, I'll probably just keep doing it. But I mean, I would like to make a little bit of money. That would be awesome. Like I said, too, I would like to be able to start, you know, syncing up my channel with, odyssey so if you guys listening want to go subscribe that way i'm gonna hit 300 subscribers once i hit that i can i can little manually sync uh yeah I, don't know. I mean i would like to keep doing this i enjoy it i mean it is fun um i know there is like a lot of work that goes into this a little like i mean it's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes but i, I do enjoy it it's a lot of fun a lot of fun having these discussions uh yeah um that's all i got <laughs> all right oh yeah well thanks so much for coming on our show right yeah I'll have to bring you guys on sometime. Uh, figure out something. So anytime. Yeah, I'd love right. to. All right, appreciate All right. it. Thanks.